0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this incredible celebration today of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're here. Let me start by asking you a question. What is your level of hope right now? When it comes to Christ and his kingdom and all that you know about who he is and what he's come to do, and what he's going to do in the future, let me ask you, what is your level of hope? I ask that because I've concluded that where there's no hope for the future, there's no flourishing in the present. And frankly, over the past few years, some believers have struggled to keep hope alive. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world that seems to be going absolutely mad. A few years ago, a worldwide pandemic. Churches are closing in record numbers. Pastors are generally discouraged, and many would leave the ministry if they felt they could. Christian values are being marginalized and even mocked in our culture, and morally, the world seems to be spinning out of control. And yet, in the midst of this moral darkness and this cultural chaos, God has called us, you and me, followers of Jesus, to be people that are filled with hope. I want you to consider what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is what we're here to celebrate on this Easter Sunday morning. So let me ask you again, in light of all that, how would you describe your hope right now? Hope is one of the most obvious marks of a truly God-honoring disciple. Tenacious hope, living hope, and I wonder, does that describe you? You see, the healthy Christian disciple is a person who is buoyed up day after day by hope. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, in describing unbelievers before they come to Christ, he said here in a book called Ephesians, without, you were without hope and without God in the world. Now think about that for a moment. Before Christ, no hope. But now, in Christ, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Scripture says so much about our hope. If I counted right, my concordance, list 158 different verses on this theme of hope. So it's important that we know what it is. In the Bible, hope is not this wishful thinking, like hey, I hope to have a beach body by June or something. That's not a hope, that's a pipe dream, okay? <laughs> that's that's a pipe dream. No, biblical hope is very different than that. It is confident. It looks to the future, and it says, it doesn't matter how things look. God's got this, and he's going to make good on his promises. Now, Abraham is the poster child for this. Although he and his wife, Sarah, were old and beyond childbearing years, here's what Scripture says about Abraham. Against all hope, think of that, It's like it's a hopeless situation. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. So a person that is filled with hope looks confidently to the future and believes that all that God has said, all that he has promised is going to be fulfilled. So I'm gonna ask you again, How would you describe your level of hope right now? Have the hardships of this life, have all that's going on in our world kinda beaten some of the hope out of you? Now, let me explain to you why I believe hope for the future (laughs) is so critical. Somewhere back in the 1980s, I first picked up that little book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. I could not put it down. For me, it was a page turner, one of the most provocative books I'd ever read. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian Jew, and he was a professional psychiatrist living in Vienna and looking forward to a long and wonderful career. But his career plans were rudely interrupted by World War II, and he was shipped off, like so many of his other fellow Jewish people, to concentration camp. And he spent over three years, he was in other camps as well, but he spent over three years in Auschwitz, and it had a profound impact on his practice after the war. Now, the the fatality rate for the prisoners at Auschwitz was just horrendous. People were dying every day, and they were in crowded conditions, and New prisoners were coming in on railroad cars every day, loaded like cattle. And all of these prisoners were like living skeletons. They were existing on thin soup and a small piece of bread each day. That's all they had for a day. And so they played all kinds of head games to try to boost morale. And in spite of all they tried, life expectancy in the camp was very, very short indeed. But Viktor Frankl, a psychiatrist now, is observing all of this. And he observed that it was hope for the future that helped people to survive. Those with a sense of hope who talked about what they would do when this crazy war was over, uh, the food they would eat, the conversations they would have. They talked about walking up the lane to their house and opening the door and embracing loved ones again. Those are the people, he said, who tended to survive the diseases and the malnutrition and the sadistic punishments from the guards that seemed to wipe so many other people out. And it was that singular lightning bolt of insight that impacted his whole approach to people after the war. He said later, he said, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, We psychiatrists, we often spend hours, we've been trained to do this, hours trying to unravel a person's past and understand it when the real key, the real key is their sense of future. And so here's what he would do in his practice after the war. When a patient came in to see him, uh, tormented by all kinds of issues, he would listen to them carefully and patiently and probe a little bit. And then he would sensitively ask this question. Now, may I ask you, why don't you commit suicide? (laughs) Now, that's not the most comforting question to be asked by your doctor, right? Right? But he said the answer they gave to that question revealed the key to their life. And one patient might say, well, it's because of my children. I want to see them grow up. I want to see them build a family of their own. I want to see all they can become. That's why I don't commit suicide. And he said, aha, their children were the key to their sense of hope and meaning and significance in life. Another patient might say, well, it's because I've got these talents and abilities that, and I haven't reached my potential yet. That's why I don't take my own life. And he said, that was their hope for the future. That was their key to survival now. Another patient might mention a relationship they want to see mended. Another, a major goal they'd like to achieve. And on and on it went. Time after time, he discovered that it was a person's hope for the future that helped them persevere and even flourish in the present. So what about you? Are you flourishing as a disciple of Jesus? You see, I'm just concerned that many disciples of Jesus have had some of the hope beaten out of them. And if we're honest, at times, it looks like God's team is just not winning. Would you agree? You hear of another school shooting, another church closing down for good, another discouraged pastor, another encroachment on Christian values by the culture. And it may look to you like God's team is just not winning here. There's an amazing statement made in the Bible in this book we call Hebrews, chapter two, it's verse eight. And this is that section now where the writer is talking about how God the Father has put all things under the power and the authority and under the feet of his son, Jesus Christ. And all things in the universe have been subjected to him. And then it makes this incredible little statement here. But now, get this, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Wow. I suggest to you that is the biggest understatement of the millennium, and it's so easy to lose hope in a world gone mad where you do not yet see all things subjected to Christ. So as we continue to live as aliens and strangers in this world, how are we supposed to bolster our hope? I wanna quickly on this Easter Sunday morning suggest to you two things to remember because Easter, the resurrection of Jesus is all about our hope. That's where our hope is anchored. Here's the first thing, be sure, be sure friend that your hope is not anchored to anything that is passing away. I grew up in a little church down in Tennessee, way out in the country. And boy, we sang a lot of songs when we came together to worship. And one of the songs I remember the most is this little song that said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then the words go like this, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So be sure, first of all, if you wanna live brimming with hope, a living hope that'll cause you to flourish in this world, no matter what's going on in your life, you better be sure that you don't have any sinking sand hopes. I've seen it in athletes. They place their hope in athletic achievement, and with one injury, a career is ended. Those are sinking sand hopes. I've seen it in business people over and over again. They build their hopes on career advancement and climbing the ladder at their company, and with one corporate downsizing, their advancement is thwarted. That is a sinking sand hope. The Apostle Paul warned us long ago, and it's just as relevant today as it ever was. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wealth is just not a worthy foundation because it's so uncertain, says Paul. Paul says, look, instead of money, put your hope in God. He'll never disappoint you. He will provide what you need. So here's the first thing. If our hope today is anchored to anything that is passing away, we're ultimately gonna be disappointed. But when we put our hope in God, we find that he richly provides us with what we truly need to flourish. But there's a second thing that I think is incredibly important if we're going to live as people of transcendent hope, who are just overflowing with this living hope that the Bible talks about. Here it is, look to the Lord in his word to be your ongoing source of hope. I'm occasionally asked, now, Pastor Rex, according to all I'm reading, ministry is apparently tough because pastors are wanting to quit constantly and they say they would quit in a moment if they had something else they felt they could really do and survive. And how do you keep your hope up? How do you keep your hope up? Can I tell you? Can I tell you how I keep my hope up? Because I have a lot of discouraging things in my life like many of you do. I wanna tell you this I keep my hope up by cracking open this book every day and reading and reading and meditating and mulling it over and thinking about it and asking God to apply it to my life and I read and read until the spiritual oxygen of hope fills my lungs. That's it. That's how I stay encouraged no matter what's going on in the church no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in my neighborhood, no matter what the headlines read, no matter how mad the world is going, no matter what the world, the flesh, and the devil is throwing at me, it happens through the word. That's how I keep my hope up. That's how I keep encouraged. The word. Two discouraged disciples walked along the road to Emmaus. Their hopes and dreams had just been, frankly, shattered. And as they shared their disappointment with this unrecognized stranger who joined them, they said, doggone it. That's a marginal reading right there, okay? Doggone it. Some ancient manuscripts say, doggone it. They said to this unrecognized stranger, doggone it, we had hoped. We had hoped he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. But their hopes were now dead and buried. But then Jesus opened the scriptures to them and their hearts burned and their hopes were resurrected. It happened through the word. Romans 15, four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you have hope today? What's your level of hope? When the spiritual oxygen of hope fills our lungs, trust me, it changes everything. When hope fills your lungs, you'll actually start believing that God's kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. When the spiritual oxygen of hope fills our lungs, we're motivated to pray for unity and work together with vigor. When hope fills our lungs, we start believing God for big things. The students and faculty at Asbury University and Wilmore, Kentucky, had been praying for revival for over 10 years, and God mightily answered their prayers. The Holy Spirit was tangible in the room. Chains were broken. Confession happened, and God was praised as holy, holy, holy. That's how one one student described what happened on that Wednesday, February the 8th, as God broke out among them. And it went on for weeks, unabated, as people from all over the world began to show up in this tiny college town of Wilmore looking for a fresh touch from God. It all started, it all started on February 8th during a call to confession of sin, and over a 100 people, fell to their knees, their hearts filled with hope, and they bowed at the altar. And they, what they were experiencing was just so precious to them. Nobody wanted to leave. It's almost entirely student-led. It involved testimony, scripture reading, praying and worshiping God with songs. And my point is this. Please don't miss my point. It all began with some bold praying, by some people who were filled with the spiritual oxygen of hope. The people at Asbury were praying big prayers. Why? Because they were anchored in hope. They believed God would answer. Do you ever pray big prayers? Big prayers. Jabez, in the Old Testament, prayed that God would enlarge his territory and bless him immensely and guess what God granted his request it's not wrong folks to pray for huge blessings from God the apostle Peter was in prison but Acts twelve five says the church was earnestly praying to God for him for his release it was a bold prayer The early Christians prayed that God would give them the power to perform miracles and heal people. The apostle Paul prayed boldly that his fellow Jews would all become Christians. There's nothing wrong, nothing at all wrong with bold, audacious prayers like that. But hope in the character and promises of God is what fuels that. Hope is a game changer, folks. Hope is a game changer. What is your level of hope today? When God's people are filled with hope and seek him fervently and pray big prayers, God shows up and his work surges forward. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe Jesus knew what he was talking about. I believe he was telling the truth. Please listen. The women, the men that God uses most, hey, they get discouraged at times. In fact, let me, let, let me just make a plug, a shameless plug for next Sunday. I'm gonna be talking next Sunday all about what to do when discouragement dogs you. And this is gonna shock some of you when we just talk in a raw, real, genuine, authentic way about how real discouragement is. But we're also gonna look at the antidote for discouragement. That's next Sunday. I don't want you to miss that. The women and men God uses most, they get discouraged, but here's the deal. They refuse to let the hope be beaten out of them. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were beaten to within an inch of their lives, but they continued to function as though the gospel were true. They continued to live as though all things were subjected to Christ, even though they did not yet see all things subjected to him. And so they sang praises at midnight. They just refused to let the hope be beaten out of them. And this Easter Sunday morning, folks, I urge you, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to keep on praying and keep on sharing and keep on leading and keep on loving and keep on living like Jesus is winning because he is, even in those seasons when it doesn't look that way. The resurrection is a game changer. And here's the best part. The same power, are you ready for this? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise us as well. I mean, how much hope can you handle? This is good stuff. We're called to be filled with a living hope. Because where there's no hope for the future, there's no flourishing in the present. Father, thank you for the reason we've come here today to celebrate. It's because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the game changer of all game changers. It means that we can be people with tenacious, living hope. No matter what the world, the flesh, and the devil throws at us, praise God, we ride above it, we rise above it, we live transcending it, because we know that you are indeed the victor. Thank you that we get to get in on your victory that's already been accomplished, and that one day, one day, we will get to see the full results of that all things are indeed subjected to you. Let us live with that hope oozing out of our pores today. And Father, let us represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.